Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. the Ezra Institute, and you can also find us on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm Ryan Aris, and I'm joined in the Knox studio, as ever, by Nathan Oblack and Dr. Joe Boot. Good to be together again, guys. Good to see you. Great to be back. Beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Mm, gorgeous. After digging ourselves out, we had the uh, a major dig out. storm mm-hmm. of the decade mm-hmm. yesterday. But we're it's all, ni- we're nice here. to look at, but I'd rather be in Florida. Personally, <laughs> you would. <laughs> well, it's, get out of uh, my office. It's our it's our lot to uh, <laughs> to hold forth here in the uh, the Great White North, and yeah, it is nice to look at. It's a nice day today. All of those uh, we've seen a lot of sunset pictures yet from yesterday after the storm, and mm-hmm. it was uh, it was pretty amazing. So we are uh, we're here today. Our topic. Uh, well, our topic for this uh, this podcast, our name for this podcast is the podcast for cultural reformation. One of the great things about cultural analysis is that there is no part of culture, no aspect of human experience and activity that is sort of off the table, that is not to be brought subject to Jesus the King, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, there's, there's a good deal of scope for the things that, uh, that we want to talk about. It's all the things that people wonder about really mm-hmm. how to how to think about these things from a distinctly and fundamentally christian perspective so all all of that to say is that a thing thinking about everything christianly i, I have a i saw a t-shirt <laughs> You've heard that that somewhere in it. <laughs> yeah, you'll find it on our store you're right you're right you can get the t-shirt with that bumper stickers are coming <laughs> but, so all all of that to say that uh, we're here today, and we've talked about this here and there before, but we want to uh, spend some time talking about the, the Christian calling in the realm of uh, media and technology, and media specifically. And Joe, this was prompted by a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, you had the, uh, the invitation a couple of weeks ago to be on uh, Ali Beth Stuckey's program, uh, Radio. No, relatable. Mm-hmm. Relatable, yeah. Relatable radio. Maybe maybe there is no radio. Maybe I just made that up. Sorry. Sorry, Allie Beth. <laughs> <laughs> relatable. Yeah. With Allie Beth Stuckey. She needs the help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll boost her ratings. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> and uh, she uh, she very kindly uh, agreed to... Uh, to sit down with you, Joe, uh, just uh, just the other day, and that's gonna we're gonna interact with with that recording for the balance of today's show. But before we uh, before we get into that, maybe Joe, if you could rehearse you know, some some principles or some considerations or what uh, what it means or what it would look like for Christians considering media and the media landscape in uh, mm-hmm. in our present day and age. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things uh, I think that, uh, first of all, you've made the, the, the critical observation that there's nothing 
in all of creation, no human activity that falls outside of the uh, word of God, the, the scope of the significance of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and that isn't to be brought into subjection to the Lord Jesus. And, uh, you know, I often reflect on Psalm 8, that great uh, song about um, man in terms of his created purpose. And, of course, Jesus Christ is the true dominion man. Uh, and the the marvel and the privilege that we have as human beings with a unique response ability. That's what responsibility means. We have a, a unique responsibility that the rocks and the trees and the animals don't have, and that is to glorify God in a uniquely human way, mm-hmm. in the way that um, the, the rest of creation, which glorifies God in its own way, can't. And so that includes um, media uh, and uh, communications. We might say, the, in, in part at least, the lingual aspect, because it's to do with, uh, you know, radio, for example, is very much to do with, or, and, and podcasts like this one, uh, focus on that, uh, the... The, this lingual aspect, people are listening to words, and hopefully those words are making sense. And of course, our words, our speech has to be brought into subjection to the Lord Jesus. Um, media, of course, goes beyond that. It's about fundamentally communication. And it's not just about the message. Uh, the message is, of course, central, but it's the medium of communication as well. So when we think about media, we often think about the content, and of course, the content is central and critical. But a Christian world and life view will also reflect on the medium itself, um, and in what way, uh, you know, not not all mediums, uh, not all media, are suitable for the communication of certain messages. So, uh, you know, no one would think, for example, that you could effectively carry on a philosophical dialogue using smoke signals. It, it's just not an effective uh, media uh, for uh, that kind of communication. And um, television um, is a wonderful, beautiful media, c- cinematography. Um, but again, there are certain um, limitations as well to the to the visual representation. Uh, one of the things that we would observe immediately, of course, is the way in which news media in particular will often be based around the images that cameramen happen to have been able to capture but those can be video or visual fragments without context that can lead people to form wrong impressions and in fact people can be mass media manipulation can happen that's why we have to be of course very careful with media fragments and social media and all these kind of things that are so popular now is that sometimes we can be misled. So there's there's several things that are involved when we think about a Christian view of media. Fundamentally, God is the first communicating, uh, the triune God is the first true communicator who communicates to us through, a, uh, through the, the full diversity of all creational media. Uh, we're, we're, we're communicated to through every medium um, by the living God in every aspect. Um, and of course, you know, the heavens declare, the psalmist says, the glory of God. So the, uh, and they pour forth a certain kind of knowledge, even though their, their speech isn't heard. There is knowledge being communicated through every aspect of, of, of creation. Uh, but of course, concretely as believers, we focus on the fact that uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, and God speaks all things into being. And as Christians, we have a focus on the written word and the importance, the centrality of the inspiration of that written word, 
um, we often talk about the, you know, the, um, the plenary, uh, the inspired and plenary word of God, um, which is central to the Christian faith, and it's communicated uh, through preaching. Uh, I think it's, um, is it Romans 10 that deals with the beauty of uh, how beautiful on the feet of those Romans who bring good, yeah. good news? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the, the beauty of the medium of the preach word in the Christian life. So different, uh, different forms of, it's interesting that uh, the, the, the focus there is on the preached word as, as, as uh, the God's means of bringing people to, to salvation, primary means of bringing people to salvation, um, and not um, you know, a, a piece of music on the harp. A piece of music on the harp may be a beautiful aesthetic experience, and it may conform in the way that it's constructed, and the music is constructed to a Christian world and life view. Uh, and that's another would be a very another interesting subject for a podcast. What does it mean Amen. to think about uh, um, music in particular in mm-hmm. terms of a Christian world and life view? Um, but uh, the, the so the mediums are different mediums are suitable for the communication of different messages, and so that's also what we think about in terms of the 10,000 foot view of this is not just content, mm-hmm. but the, there's a certain uh, a sense in which message uh, medium is also message. So the media we use is part of the message uh, in, in our, in our communication. When we say media, of course, today, the first thing that comes to people's mind is mass media, news media. It's all about communications. Um, and um, as Christians, we have to, we have a responsibility not only to think through our use of media and what's the most uh, effective way, but what are the most appropriate ways and what, what medium, what, what media and medium are most suitable, most um, appropriate to the communication of different messages. And uh, you know how often if you're watching uh, um, some of the early, especially sort of Christian movies, uh, I don't like to use that term because um, a, any given movie can be can be informed by a given worldview, and uh, but the the sort of so called Christian movie industry has tended in the past, at least I think there's big improvements being made to have a sort of focus on. They have to be sort of t- sort of um, uh, almost conversion stories, really wrapped into some kind of a narrative, and then you yeah. get these moments where somebody's kneeling down to pray or. That the, the sun is coming through the trees and it makes the shape of a cross on the ground and it feels a bit on the cheesy side to say the least. Um, and you can see how you know television is not the best media through which to communicate some of those kinds of messages. Um, there's a more elusive uh, way, elusive, a, m- a more creative and aesthetically mm-hmm. winsome way to communicate that kind of thought than in that sort of obvious kind of fashion. So. From a ten thousand foot perspective, those are those are the, a variety of the things that come into play when we talk about a Christian view of media. I think the one we want to pick up on today, in particular with Ali Beth, is uh, why should the Christian really be concerned with speaking out publicly in modern media? There are so many pitfalls, and given the, um, I mean, it, it takes courage to say anything. Uh, especially to say anything bold now, to especially to um, uh, declare anything that's even remotely prophetic in the sense of being faithful to the word of God into culture. Every, any average Christian who tries that on social media would have discovered what happens when that kind of thing 
goes on uh, and when people are seeking to be faithful. Uh, and so to, to, be, to be a faithful Christian who wants to go into the public space to communicate a Christian world and life view and the truth of that, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of temptations, there's a lot of um, tests that are involved in that challenge. And so our conversation with Ali Beth Stuckey, who I think has been a quite a remarkable um, young woman in speaking so clearly as a Christian in public media with credibility and in a winsome way uh, that's gained her quite quite the following. I think she's got some very helpful things to to um, to teach us with regard to how do we think about the Christian's responsibility to speak truth in the media which is an increasingly hostile type of context. And so uh, we won't be able to deal with all of the issues with um, uh, Ali Beth Stuckey today, but those are some of the things that we, we, we're focused on. And as you mentioned, I had a great opportunity to, um, to spend time on Ali Beth Stuckey's show a few weeks ago, talking about uh, civil liberties and uh, biblical worldview and the challenges in Canada. And then um, she kindly agreed to come on our, uh, our, our podcast to discuss um, this issue today. So, yeah. So, like I mentioned, just because of her schedule, we weren't able to get her live for our show. But you and uh, you and her got to sit down. So we'll uh, we'll play that interview now, and then we'll uh, we'll interact with that after a bit. We're really privileged to have a very special guest uh, with us today, Ali Beth Stuckey. She probably no, needs no introduction uh, for most of you. She's a very well-known conservative Christian broadcaster in the USA. Um, she's uh, well-known for her podcast, Relatable, and her book uh, on the um, uh, speaking tr primarily to the some of the cultural top five cultural questions facing people and their identity. Her book's called You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of self-love. So we strongly recommend that to our listeners. Ali, thank you so very much for being willing to join us today. We know how busy you are. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for having me. It's a privilege and I really appreciated when you came on Relatable just a couple of weeks ago as well. well. It was great to join you. Thank you very much for, for having us. Now, um, you're a, you've become actually quite quickly a, uh, a leading Christian conservative spokesperson in in the U.S. You're very well known, especially among uh, younger women. Um, in some respects, you're kind of known as this uh, millennial uh, uh, commentator, and there aren't all that many uh, who are speaking with the kind of clarity that you are. Um, and uh, in many in many respects, up here in Canada, with our work as a ministry uh, in Christian worldview and cultural apologetics, teaching and training. In part, we're trying to see a generation of Ali Beths uh, arise here in Canada as well and beyond. And so you actually are something of a role model for many, I think, here. And so um, keep up the great work because you are, you're having an impact. But I've got a few questions for you today um, that I think will be helpful to um, our listeners um, and the first is actually very straightforward, very direct. Why should Christians be speaking out in public media in our own time? It's not as um, uh, as, as obvious a thing. Uh, many Christians are sort of skeptical about this kind of cultural engagement. Why is it important? Why should we be doing it? 
a lot of people in my generation and probably every generation are afraid to talk politics because they don't want to be, quote, divisive. They're afraid that they will come across as unloving or intolerant, all of these things that no one really wants to be if they talk about what are considered culture war issues. But really, as you and I talked about on my podcast, the things that we're discussing are pre-political. The definition of marriage, sexuality, gender, identity, human nature, all of these things are pre-political. They are not primarily culture war issues. They are primarily biblical issues. A lot of them Genesis, Genesis 1 issues, fundamental issues that Christians should be clear on no matter what the culture says and no matter what the political atmosphere is. And a lot of people are afraid that, for example, if you're talking about the, quote, ban on conversion therapy um, in Canada, that if you speak out against that, then you're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called all of these different kinds of names. And if Christians are primarily called to love, young people are scared or they say they're scared that they're going to hurt their witness if they talk about these things. But something I like to say is that you cannot out love God. You can't out compassion God. You can't out justice God. So if God says something, for example, that he made us in his image, male and female, that the only legitimate form of marriage is between man and woman, that kids need a mother and a father, all of these things that are so scandalous to say today, then you cannot get more loving than that. If the God who is love, as first John four, eight says, says, something, then we are so loving to simply repeat that. Um, And the reason why it's important to be clear on these things that we are told, both within and outside of the church that we shouldn't talk about, um, is because of an alliteration. I really like alliterations, and we use this one on my on my podcast a lot, that even though these are pre-political issues that we're talking about, they do have a political impact and politics matter. Politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Politics affects policy. Policy affects people. This this uh, ban, so-called in Canada, um, is going to have a negative impact on people anytime, anytime there is a law or a policy that contradicts human nature, that contradicts the created order, that contradicts how God created things to be. People are going to be negatively impacted, especially the most vulnerable. The two most vulnerable groups that will be impacted by this will be women and children. That's true of the entirety of the sexual revolution. Um, The church has always been a refuge for the most vulnerable. They've been a refuge of truth. They've been a literal refuge. And so in a chaotic and a confusing culture, Christians have the privilege of clarity um, because we rest on the very clear word of God when it comes to these fundamental and now political issues. And you've not just been a, an armchair uh, spokesperson on these things. You've been uh, a Fox News commentator, uh, Blaze TV, um, various uh, programs. Uh, there's a You've got uh, quite the profile from actually speaking with that kind of clarity and that kind of honesty. And sometimes people are afraid to go there, but actually you don't know who is actually with you until you begin to speak out. And we're seeing that actually increasingly, I think, in the last few years, uh, more and more of a hunger and a desire for Christians to address these issues. Now, um, you're also somebody who speaks on the importance of developing a biblical worldview. uh, And that very much relates to what you've just talked about. We often hear, though, here, I don't know whether you get it so much um, within your networks, but we often hear, you know, stay in lane. 
uh, what, what, why just uh, focus on the gospel? Yeah. Um, why, why are you drifting into all of these other areas? You know, s- s- stay in our lane. How would you, how would you respond to that yeah. when actually outspoken, faithful people like yourself trying to inculcate this biblical world and life view, uh, may like us be told at times, you know, wh- why are you getting involved in politics and cultures? S- stay, in, stay in lane. From a scriptural worldview standpoint, how would you respond to that sort of criticism? You must hear it. Yes. So, you know, I have a niche thing that I do. There are a lot of conservative commentators and there are a lot of young Christian women who speak at conferences and things like that. But certainly for some Christians, I'm too political. And then for some conservative, a lot of conservative commentators, I talk about Christianity um, too much. And so the reason that I do that is certainly not to gain an audience because right there I've cut plenty of people out who either don't want to hear one side or the other, but because I truly believe that both things matter and that your politics and your views of culture are informed by your theology, whether you're a Christian or not, everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a theological starting point, whether you're an atheist or whether you're an agnostic. If my view of God and his authority over uh, the heavens and the earth Um, If I have that belief, that's going to inform what I think about right and wrong. And then what I think about right and wrong is going to inform what I think about policies, what I think about culture. And that doesn't mean that certainly I don't believe that I am the arbiter on every single policy and how it fits into a biblical worldview. I say to my listeners a lot, I'm navigating this, I'm, I'm learning this, and they're are certainly secondary, tertiary, uh, political, cultural issues on which faithful Christians who believe in the inerrancy and the authority of word of the word of God can disagree. But I think a lot of people don't even try because they're afraid of that disagreement. I think what so many people are hungry for, they're, they're kind of tired of, okay, they have to listen to a particular political commentator to hear about this. And then they have to listen to Um, you know, uh, a Christian leader talk about this, but they feel like they have to take everything with a grain of salt because they don't know, they don't know how to put it all, they don't know how to put it all together. And so people really want to know, like they want to know, how do I approach these sensitive topics like preferred pronouns? why does God say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Believe it or not, there are a lot of professing Christians who don't know the answers to those questions. How do I show compassion towards the migrant without being completely open borders? What is the role of the government in taking care of poor people? Um, what is what are the spheres of authority in civic life and church life and family life? What does that look like? Is feminism something that Christians should hold on to? Was Jesus a feminist? All of these questions that I think a lot of Christians are too scared to walk into, they're too scared to answer. But really, the people who are willing to answer those questions, who don't very often get told, hey, stay in your lane, are the left-wing progressive social justice Christians. They are more than happy 
to say, yes, Jesus was a feminist. Yes, uh, you know, gender is something that is fluid and men and women are interchangeable and the government can be your savior and can be your caretaker. And so there are professing Christians who answer those questions. There are few professing Christians that are willing to answer it from the conservative side of the aisle. And so that's simply what I'm trying to do is to be a, you know, small voice on that side because there's a lot of people that are searching. A lot of people are that are curious about those things, and too many Christians just aren't willing to answer the questions. Well, a lot of that speaks to the fact that um, we've sort of truncated the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, we don't recognize many believers don't recognize the thing. I mean, a number of the things you've talked about there, right through to things like the migrant crisis and border controls and so on. That actually, the scriptures and the biblical worldview do have things to say about that. Uh, does have things to say about the stranger and the alien, does have things to say about gender and identity and men and women and so on and so forth. But we've so truncated our idea of the gospel down to a narrow sort of easy believism, me and Jesus, just my personal confession, that we've lost something of the fullness of, of that. And um, it's interesting, actually, the fact that uh, some in conservative media feel that you speak too much with a Chris distinctly Christian voice uh, is um, in that respect fascinating because it again yes. speaks to the fact that the culture thinks well faith belongs over in a corner over there and and there shouldn't be a distinctly Christian approach to these questions there must be a more generic uh, yeah. conservative approach they've actually lost sight of what lies under the foundation of that uh, of that exactly. historic approach that we've had in in the in the West. Exactly. And I am um, a conservative, but I believe that I have conservative views because the Bible informs my views, not because I really care about the Republican Party. Of course, I tend to, I mean, I do vote Republican. I don't think I've ever voted for a Democrat, but I'm simply not on board with this movement, um, really pushed by a lot of people that I respect in some ways to have a big tent movement that embraces all of the socially, sexually progressive trends on the left to try to say, yeah, you can identify as X, Y, Z, and we'll pat you on the back and we'll bring you in as long as you're okay with capitalism and a little bit smaller government. There's a lot of people who simply because they are interested in Republicans winning more elections, that they're trying to widen conservatism into realms that it just doesn't logically and consistently go because of, like you said, the foundation really is um, this idea that we were created by a God whose moral authority transcends the authority of the government and endowed us with inalienable rights. We like to accept that part of it as conservatives, that, okay, we have rights that transcend what the government say, but some conservatives and maybe some libertarians like to think that you don't have to submit to God's authority in other realms. And I just like to remind conservatives, you're not going to get what you want. The small government, the capitalism, the free market, the, uh, you know, the into totalitarian mm -hmm. threat. You're not going to get that without the foundation of biblical morality the biblical definition of a family. And so, yeah, I, I, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with being so-called uh, polarizing in that way because I really don't care about the Republican Party one way or another. Yeah, that's actually encouraging to hear that. And, and that's actually clarifying because oftentimes, especially up here in Canada, you know, we can be identified with, well, you're just, uh, uh, this is this is Americanism coming up into Canada and Republicanism and so on. But actually, this is about scripture. It's about the gospel. It's about the kingdom of God. 
you've had something of a um, a stratospheric um, rise over the last few years um, in terms of visibility and so on, and and the popularity of your resources and your podcast and so on. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of temptations uh, out there. There's a lot of pressure to compromise, to water things down in order to remain uh, popular, or to to be to be told that well you'll get a bigger audience if you if you stop talking quite so much about the Christian faith or the Bible or whatever. What are some of the keys that you found to resisting the temptation? So many Christians slip into this. They get a little bit of. Uh, notoriety, they get a bit of visibility, and then you find that they start surrendering some of their Christian distinctives. How do you how do you push back against that? How do you resist the the temptation to compromise and water down the faith when you're in the public space in the public media? I think it's really a lack of. This sounds strange, maybe, but a lack of care uh, about how big my audience is. Now, that's not to say that I don't want my podcast to reach as many people as possible or to sell as many books as possible, because of course you do. You don't do those things without hoping that it impacts a lot of people in a positive way. So of course, I'm grateful for that. I want that. I'm always thinking about you know, how to make the podcast the best that it can be and all of that. But I really, truly, by the grace of God, I'm not just trying to sound like falsely humble or anything like that. I really, truly don't find my happiness and my purpose and how many followers or listeners that I have. Again, that doesn't mean that I don't care at all, but I just don't have my identity wrapped up in that. Now, maybe it's because I made the choice to never move to LA or DC or New York, even though I have had the opportunity to do that in the past few years. Maybe it's because we decided to, you know, live in the suburbs close to my parents and have kids and have a very regular life to where I just feel extremely grounded. I don't feel caught up in the rat race of media. Even conservative media can be nasty and toxic in your right people want to compromise because of this big tent movement that's happening on the Republican side. And there, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, you really never grow up high school drama that if you do this and you're nice to this person or you don't talk bad about this policy, then you'll have more influence. You'll be invited to, um, you know, this party or things like that. And I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the foundation that my parents laid for me. I'm thankful for the grace of God that keeps me. I'm thankful for a family and a life that is really independent of all of that. Mm -hmm. So I guess that just kind of gives me the freedom to say, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. Maybe I'll be deplatformed one day from all of this for talking about it. And I'm sure that'll be sad, but I just, I just trust the Lord. I just trust the Lord that he is going to do with my words, what he will for as long as he wants to. And I truly am just at peace with that. Well, it's a, it's actually a very encouraging reminder to to uh, to families, to young people, to young women that uh, you don't have to sacrifice uh, family and children and uh, and faithfulness on the altar of ambition to see the Lord bless what you're doing and uh, give you a voice into culture. We just got a couple of minutes left here, so let me ask yeah. you just uh, uh, um, a couple of last quick questions. First of all. When you're in uh, the the public eye, in, in the public space, and you're and you're sp- especially when you're saying distinctly Christian things about culturally controversial issues, you're also going to get not just the followers and the and and the and the fan base, but you're going to get 
uh, abuse and um, uh, hatred and and all kinds of vindictive things directed towards you. I've absolutely no doubt you've seen some of this and experienced some of that. Some people are afraid, Ali Beth, to speak out and to speak up and to be faithful because they're actually afraid of that kind of reaction. They're terrified of what the culture is going to do to them, what people will think of them. Increasingly, I mean, I... I'm old enough not to have grown up in the social media generation. Um, I think my first cell phone, I was well into my 20s. So, but uh, uh, for for the younger generation, especially that whole having their self-worth tied up in in social media likes and and all of that. How do you deal with the pressures of speaking out clearly and some of the hatred and the vindictive abuse that you inevitably get when you speak for Christ? Yes, I mean I have I have gotten just some of the most grotesque words sent to me and I mean people are truly like creative in the wickedness that they will hurl towards someone that they disagree with or who they don't just disagree they uh, certainly if you are against the progressive sexual revolution they will blame you for all kinds of horrific things and just they'll say terrible things. And worse than that, there are threats that people get. Sometimes threats have been sent to me. And so it is scary. I I don't, I can't say, look, just do it. And you probably won't get any mean messages or no one will ever threaten you. People have gotten worse reactions than me. I mean, parents who speak up at, for example, at school board meetings have literally gotten threatened. They've gotten doxxed. Their names, addresses have been released. People have literally gotten attacked because of their political views. And I wish I could say, you know, that's probably not going to happen to you. And it probably won't, but it could. And you do have to weigh those risks. Now, I will say that living a life of bold obedience for Christ doesn't necessitate always you know, speaking out on social media. There are a lot of ways to be communicative and be bold and to ensure that you are representing the truth in a variety of ways, but ensure that um, you are kind of counting the cost, um, that you are making sure Um, that if you are quiet on something, you're being quiet for the right reasons. And that if you are going to speak up on something, make sure that you're prepared, make sure that you're equipped and make sure that you just ready yourself with the expectation that you're going to get pushback, but don't allow pushback to discourage you or to make you think that maybe the disapproval of some people means that you weren't supposed to say it. And this whole thing on, you know, accusations of you're just being divisive if you talk about certain things. Um, The truth is divisive. The truth is divisive. It is. Your purpose isn't to be divisive. Your purpose isn't to, uh, you know, demean or to offend people. But the truth is offensive. The truth is divisive. And it's worth it. Again, you can't outlove God. Um, a lot of people, especially to young Christian women, they want to silence you and talking about these controversial political issues by saying, just be empathetic, just be loving, um, just be kind. And for whatever reason, they tie those adjectives to silence. I just think that's a manipulation tactic. You can't outlove, outcompassion God. If God says something is true, then it's loving to echo what God says. Um, so be 
a, a place of refuge for people who are confused and are victims of the chaos of this world. Be so clear in what God says is good and right and true. Um, there's something really gratifying about it. I was I was nervous. I remember the first time that I talked about um like uh, that I laid out in a podcast why marriage is between a man and a woman, even though I had said it, you know, as an aside before, um, actually emphasizing why I believe what I believe about that was scary. But then once you do it, you just kind of get used to the reaction and you're able to be more courageous from then on mm-hmm. out. And one more thing. And courage yeah. begets courage, by the way. Courage right. begets courage. Like your courage in standing up for what is good and right and true is going to beget courage in someone else. And that also makes it a very fulfill a fulfilling feeling when that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, let me wrap up with this question for you. Um, there are those that say uh, the culture war is lost. Uh, and uh, it's over, and we just have to settle for being a uh, humble supplicant in a pluralistic society to ask that maybe Jesus can have a seat at the table somewhere, Um, and that maybe we can still find uh, some degree of freedom um, if we just cooperate with a, a radical, egalitarian, progressive, pluralistic vision of society that doesn't recognize the lordship of Christ and his word. The culture war is over. What do you say to that? How do you respond to that? Well, if I believed that the culture war was over, then I wouldn't be trying to wage it. And again, I don't primarily see myself as a culture warrior. I see myself as just saying this is what the Bible says about these issues that happens to be waging a war against against certain parts of the culture. I do believe that the culture can change. I do believe that we can shift the Overton window back over. I do believe that there are people, especially in the radicalism of COVID policy, that are realizing, oh, putting all of my hope and all of my stock into the government to tell me what is right and wrong and to trust them to to protect me. I do think that people are waking up to that and realizing that okay, maybe we were wrong. And I do think that that has a trickle-down effect in kind of recognizing the problems with the state and state-sanctioned morality. So I think that that's a possibility. I certainly think that things can change. But, you know, when people are discouraged, there was yet another poll that came out by Pew Research last month saying that America is becoming more secular, that the people who identify as Christians, that the percentage is going down. It's gone down like 20% in in just the last 14 years. And that can be really discouraging for people. I think that can probably cause people to say, oh, well, the culture is just over. What's the point in even pushing? Look, I'm not I'm not discouraged or disturbed at all by those statistics, because if not even the gates of hell can prevail against Christ church, Amen. then I, I'm not I'm not worried about what Pew Research says or what any uh, data says. And quite frankly, I am excited about the death of the Christian in name only trends. I am excited about the death of cultural Christianity. Sure, there are fewer people that are identifying as Christians, but that's because being a Christian is less popular, it's less safe, it's less mainstream. So those who exist will now will be the ones who have counted the cost and have decided following Christ is better than popularity. It's better than being mainstream. It's better than 
you know, having a platform. So, and that courage, it can change the culture or maybe it won't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it doesn't really matter. We are just called to do the next right thing and whatever God wants to do with that in big ways and small, I just have to trust that the outcome will give him glory and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm after. Well, we're with you in recognizing that culture is just the public manifestation of the religion of a people. And if people turn to faith in Christ, the culture is going to change with it. It's a a gospel culture that we're looking for. Ali Beth, uh, you're an inspiration to many. We're big fans at the Ezra Institute. We are so thankful that you've given us some of your time today. We know how busy you are as a wife, as a mom, and as a broadcaster. And uh, we really appreciate uh, the the things you've shared with us. And... um, It'll be a blessing to uh, to all those that uh, catch our podcast this coming week. Thanks ever so much. Thank you so much. God bless. We'll, we'll be recommending uh, your, your books so you can uh, catch Ali Beth's uh, podcast, Relatable, and go and pick up her book, You're Not Enough, uh, and That's Okay. Um, do it today. Thanks again, Ali. God bless you. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview, and there's a lot to pick up on there, but uh, I think where I'd like to begin is Right at the outset, Ali Beth mentioned that Christians need to be clear when they're communicating the truth, but we're often watering down the message because we don't want to hurt our witness. And she she mentions her response has always been, you can't outlove God. And Im- immediately I think of, well, another way to say that is you you can't create a law that's better than God's law. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your mm-hmm. ideas and, and your perspectives, they're not better than God's. And of mm. course, I'm thinking of Romans 13, 8 there, where, you know, we, we read that love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Lord Jesus talked repeatedly about the, the fact that uh, the Pharisees themselves were in grave danger, or in fact, were engaged in uh, replacing the law of God with their tradition and making mm. void, nullifying the law of God by their human tradition. And I think one of the problems we've got in the modern church is that so many people think they're holier than God is. Mm -hmm. They -hmm. think they're more loving than God is. They think that their law is more loving than God's law. Mm -hmm. They think that their vague and abstract conception of natural law is more loving than God's revealed law. And uh, that's a problem, especially when you consider, you mentioned, uh, Nate, uh, Romans 13, and beginning in verse 8, and uh, why don't we just read that? It says, um, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing about this is that Paul there specifically ties together law and love. And they're often put at opposite ends of a a spectrum as though there's some dualism there. So there's some kind of radical dichotomy between Christian love and God's law. It's all about law and wrath and judgment with you. You Mm -hmm. It's not enough about love, the love of God. And the problem is, is what's happened is that many modern Christians, they've taken the word love Mm -hmm. and they've lifted it right out of its biblical context. So it's been abstracted from what God says about the meaning of love, given a new meaning and then drop back down into the Christian life. And then people talk about, well, you're not being loving. But right. Paul says, love and law are inseparable. To, to love God and to love your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. And he names the commandments of the Decalogue mm-hmm. and says any mm-hmm. other commandment. Mm-hmm. 
So we know that Jesus' great summary of the law was to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the purpose of the law. Uh, It's to express and manifest the love of God and love of neighbor. And the notion that we can be somehow more loving than God, Mm -hmm. I think Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And I think that was a critical point that she made there, that this is a massive area of confusion in the modern church, and it's created increasingly an antinomian church that's hostile to the law of God, somehow thinking that God's law, God's law of liberty, which is also God's law of love, is somehow in conflict with genuine love for your neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the truncation of the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're limiting God's law to just this narrow truncated understanding. Well, of course, people in other spheres are going to be applying their own version of love. Yes, if we think that the kingdom of God, let's remember that the gospel in Scripture is described, because the word gospel, mean evangel, means good news. So it's the gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus comes proclaiming. And after the resurrection, what does he do? He speaks to the disciples, it says, about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the keynote of Scripture. The good news... Uh, of the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. He's paid the, the 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 penalty for sin and death. He's raised from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of power and authority, uh, and he's seated in that place of total authority he's, as the ruler of the kings of the earth. Quick plug there mm-hmm. for the my new book, uh, Ruler of Kings, the sequel to Mission of God, coming soon. Um, but uh, that that, as <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Very serious. <laughs> so, so uh, the, uh, the 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 challenge in part is that uh, yes, this truncation mm-hmm. has meant that well, what's media and and uh, what's uh, uh, law and politics and education, all these things, got to do with the the gospel? Just stay in lane. Stay tell in people lane. about right. Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what are we saying about Jesus? That's the question. Who is he? What's his identity? What was his message? What did he come to do? What did he come to accomplish? According to my Bible, it's the reconciliation of all things to God. Mm. It's the renewal of all creation. It's it's the total work of redemption, far as the curse is found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that in, obviously includes um, this area of media. But you know, she picked up on the issue of um, of, uh, of of stay in lane. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, just on that point, it's interesting that, you know, movements like Black Lives Matter and even climate change alarmism, those folks are never told to stay in their lane. It's only people that are, you know, when we when we are telling people that God's law applies to all of life in every sphere, we're the ones being told to stay in our lane. Yeah. Yeah, God's law word in the in the totality of Scripture, His instruction, and of course, we also, as we talk frequently about on on our podcast of cultural reformation, the the laws and norms that God has established within creation and made explicit in His in His word. Um, it it seems that the opposition comes only when mm. you speak about that criteria, right? Right. right? If you are, uh, uh, you know, going to go along with the social justice uh, warriors, you're going along with a, a woke critical theory mm-hmm. uh, in the SBC or or uh, your or in TGC or whatever it may be, um, and you're going to wander down these paths of social justice and and inclusion and so on. That that's not that's not not staying in lane. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Because that is affirmative of the culture. Right. It it simply it it affirms the status quo, 
it affirms what the culture is already saying. Mm-hmm. What I think Ali Beth is saying here is that, you know, when you, with the truth is divisive it by its very nature, because it confronts and, uh, Truth will always divide people. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said it himself. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because because this the gospel of the kingdom is going to divide even family members from one another. So, yes, it is. It does seem to be that um, the ones who are coming in for the, for the stick are those who are talking about Christ's lordship and his law word as uh, having uh, authority. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if it's the neo-Marxist worldview or, and, and the, the social justice warriors and the, the, and the Frankfurt School or the cultural Marxists, the critical theorists, if you're going along with their ideas, that's fine. And you as a Christian can speak publicly on those. That's not, uh, that's not failing to stay in lane. That's just uh, being concerned with justice. Mm. Uh, but if you speak uh, God's word uh, and his kingdom word and his kingdom law, uh, then you're out of lane and uh, now you're trying to impose uh, Christianity upon people and you're mm-hmm. trying to impose uh, you're a dominionist. Mm-hmm. You're casting a, a shadow mm-hmm. across <laughs> like Mordor, <laughs> across Ontario and beyond. Uh, and, 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 and therefore, you know, you're in trouble yeah. because um, God forbid that anybody should be turned toward uh, a Christian vision for education or a Christian vision for politics or a, or a Christian vision of God's law. What a terrible thing. Mm. Joe, are you trying to Christianize the globe? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't know whether I can answer that on air, Nathan. Um, let, me, let me answer that how I answered it with one pastor. I'm not trying to Islamicize it and I'm not trying to secularize it. What are you trying to do with it? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the question that all of these people need to answer, isn't it? Right. Is uh, if you're not, if your goal in the spread of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel of the kingdom, in calling people to repentance from what? Dead works, from lawlessness. Uh, sin is lawlessness according to scripture. Um, if we're not calling to people to repentance from that and to a changed and transformed life, mm-hmm. uh, to sanctification through the word and the spirit and the application of that word in the totality of their lives. Well, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we want to secularize the world? Do we want to Islam it? Do we, do we want all creation in rebellion and enmity against God? Is that the, is that the calling that we see in scripture? So this is the thing that um, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, those who are the critics of the Ali Beth Stuckies of the world, they have to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to see, uh, Ali Beth mentioned that uh, we're beginning to see the, the death of, nominal Christianity, right? Yeah. We're beginning to see the divisions uh, show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, uh, I mean, of course, they have the expression in the States, don't they, about Republicans in name only or rhinos. Yeah. And we do have an issue with uh, Christians in name only. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, all the pressures of the last two years or so and the growing pressures, for example, in the Canadian landscape, but around the Western world is a sifting process. That's mm-hmm. right. And it's sorting out not just the men from the boys, it's sorting out the, the faithful from the careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it, it's sifting out those who are going to, mm-hmm. to make a stand 
um, for truth and justice and righteousness and those who aren't. Yeah. And that has a purifying effect on the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And that, we have to say, is, as Ali Beth points out, I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 this, this is almost like a cultural cycle that we see in the history mm-hmm. of the church. You get uh, a time of reform and reformation and growth of the church and faithfulness and great things happen. And then there's a period, oftentimes, of decline. This is why we have to try and learn from these things so that we don't uh, we don't endlessly repeat these mistakes. But then you often find there's a time of decline and nominality, and 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 then sometimes a time of struggle again that reestablishes reform and change and so on. And um, uh, you know that process of the of of as Doyverd would say that struggle for cultural reformation. Uh, comes to an end only when Jesus comes mm. and brings in, uh, establishes the fullness, consummates the fullness of his kingdom work. And so mm. in the meantime, we are in a struggle for gospel culture, which begins mm. with the regeneration of the heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, these things are not difficult. Mm-hmm. They, they logically f- flow from one another, but we are such hybrid Christians. We're caught in such a, a dichotomy, sort of a, a schizophrenic mindset in the modern evangelical church uh, that if it feels as though so many evangelicals want to walk this tightrope, and any anything that would uh, you know the, the the kind of life and witness of an Ali Beth Stuckey threatens to throw them off balance, right? Oh, here's this young woman speaking courageously to culture. Uh, you know, this is uh, what's she getting involved in that for? Stay in lane. Um, and uh, it becomes, you know, then what happens is people who do speak the truth of the gospel of the kingdom into the public space are then seen as a threat mm-hmm. to the church, mm-hmm. to the churches, to to certain power brokers as well um, within Christian communities, and that's why it's often a lonely place for prophetic voices who are speaking out mm-hmm. uh, in media. But she was right to sort of sum up by saying, this isn't about a culture war. Mm-hmm. Culture war isn't an end in itself. Uh, the struggle within the culture, what's sometimes called the culture war, is simply a symptom. It's a manifestation of the struggle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. That's it. It's but, unavoidable, nevertheless. And it's so. unavoidable. It's exactly that. It, you, 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 you cannot, to, 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 to say I'm not in the struggle is to be very much a part of it. Right. Uh, and so uh, the, the cultural struggle is unavoidable. It's inescapable. And it's an expression of the struggle that goes on every day till Jesus comes between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, which is the only two kingdoms that the Bible recognizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking into that with Christ's authority over all of these issues, like Ali Beth mentioned, comes with a cost, but the cost is worth it. Yeah. Yes, it's you know it's not always the number one way to make friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, initially it it and there's a cost to being faithful in any of these areas, because as soon as you put it out there, you're going to come in for criticism. You're going to be attacked, and uh, that's the cost. That's always been the cost of faithfulness. It was always the cost for the prophets. It was always the cost for the apostles, and it's always going to be the cost for the faithful church. Um, there's a price to pay. That's why Jesus says, "Count the cost." With regard to the kingdom of God, before you say, "Here, yeah, sign me up, make sure that you've calculated what is it going to cost to finish. Mm-hmm. I've got to finish the race. I've got to keep the faith. And uh, we'd want to encourage people to, uh, to to follow the example of young women like Ali Beth, who actually have started on a fantastic course. So we need to pray for her mm-hmm. that she continues and, and um, presses, presses on. Uh, and I'm confident she will. And what a great example for the younger generation coming through. Great. Yeah, well, we're... Uh 
grateful to have this uh, this commentary. Thankful for Ali Beth's participation. Nathan, do you have any uh, last words? Yeah, I would only mention that you can uh, pick up Ali Beth's book, You're Not Enough, and that's okay. And uh, you can also catch her on her podcast, Relatable. But we're really thankful to uh, have had the opportunity to interview her. And like Joe mentioned, we'll continue to pray for all of the great work she's doing uh, in Atlanta. Terrific. All right. Well, from all of us here at the podcast for Cultural Reformation, we remind you once again that from him and through him and to him are all things. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation. We look forward to being with you again next week.